I am so, um, so glad that you're here tonight. Um, we're going to talk about the and more. Um, they, they said we're talking about love, gender, sex, marriage, and more. I think we're the and more part. I'm not entirely sure. But it's really great to be here with you guys tonight. It's so great to have my bride with me. Yes. Yes. We are not Pastor Sam and Brenda, though I really do like Chinese food. Um, but that's just because I love my pastor and I want to support his people. The really funny thing is, is that we really have no idea what's going to happen from here. Um, but we trust that God's going to show up. Amen? Amen. And um, we want you to know for, from the very get-go that this is about relationships, about how to get along in relationships, how to work in relationships, how to make relationships work. And it's not just marriage. Um, it's about mothers and, and fathers and children and brothers and sisters and close friends. You have to say that in the microphone. And friends. Yes. <laughs> um, and so if you're a, um, a, not a married person right now, please don't think, oh, another marriage thing that won't have anything to do for me because that's not what this is going to be about. And if it comes out to be that way, let me know afterwards and we'll get you your money back because that's important. So um, let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to give you thanks and praise tonight because you are, everybody, good. You got confused. Let's try that again. We want to give you thanks and praise because, God, you are good. You are good. You are a good, good father. And you give us good, good gifts. And you flow into us and through us. And you are always for us, God. I love that part of the song that says, you are for me. You're for us. So Father, tonight, will you teach us? Will you help us to become better at the relationships in which you placed us? That they continue to look more and more like heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to start, um, and we do want to pull back the curtain just a little bit and talk to you some about things we've learned the hard way along the way. Um, I would encourage you, if you have the app, to open up um, Thrive at the very bottom in the middle and go to the notes page, um, just simply because... We're, we've got a lot of material we want to share with you, especially later, and it's going to be fastest if you can fill in some blanks. And if you get the wrong answer, I love that about the app. It fills in the right answer for you. So it's idiot-proof. Trust me, I know this. Um, and we're going to start tonight with, down through the decades, what's become known as the Hebrew Note Incident. So one of the biggest arguments Ken and I had still to this day after 40 some, I don't know, seven, I don't know. What year is this? 20, 2022, uh, 45. Wow, this is going to cost you later. <laughs> I should know this, but I don't. Um, we were newlyweds. Ken was in seminary, and uh, he was in our apartment studying 
one evening, and I went out with some other wives uh, to a Bible study, I think. And when I came home, Ken was in bed. Oh, see, now you're not getting this. We were newlyweds. We were in seminary. I went out with my friends. When I came home... I should have been waiting by the door. Ken was in bed. I know. See how silly it sounds now. But back then, I was a little, you know, newlywed wife. And I don't think we had ever made that a rule. But in my head, in my heart, it was a rule. And I was astonished. I think we'd been married about six months, and he had never gone to bed without me. So I went in there to the bedroom, and I said, what happened? Why, why, why were you in bed? And he said something to me, like, I left you a note on the door. I walked through the door. I didn't see a note. So I went back out there. I looked all around. I looked on the ground to see if it had fallen. There was no note. Back to the bedroom. There's no note on the door. I'm getting angry now. And he said, yes, there is. It has the little marks all over it. Back out I go. I'm looking for that note. It's like, okay, Ken is not a liar. If he says there's a note, there's a note. I'm looking to see if it's behind the couch. Exhaustive search, I come back out. There is no note out there. What is going on? What are you talking about? And this is when I woke up. <laughs> yeah, we had our biggest fight and I slept through most of it. <laughs> um, we worked it out. We did. We did. But, you know, I didn't realize I had this expectation and this rule in my head mm -hmm. until Ken violated it. And so, you know, in relationships, whether it's husband, wife, parent, child, friend to friend, quite often you'll discover that you have the same fights over and over. If you think about people that you're in close relationship and what you argue about with them, quite often, it's the same basic fight. Or there's maybe two or three. You might have a repertoire of two or three. <laughs> I don't know. We had three or four. Three or four. Three or four. Yeah, three or four. And, um, and you could, as you get older and in this relationship, you hear one of these fights shaping up, and there's a part of you going, this is the same fight <laughs> that we've had before. And um, we discovered this idea and just frankly stole it from Gary Smalley's book, The DNA of Relationships, which I think might be up on the screen. Well, not yet. But, um, and it's called The Dance. When you have the same fight over and over, Gary Smalley calls it The Dance. And the, that book is up there now. It's a great book if um, you're looking for resources. Gary Smalley's The DNA of Relationships is amazing. If you have teenagers in your home or you work with teenagers, his book, The DNA of Parent-Teen Relationships, is equally as good. Would recommend that to you. Just a great, easy-to-read resource full with, uh, of practical stories and illustrations that you'll find to be, I think, really insightful. Um, but we want always what we do to be based on the Word, that we want to bring the Word to life. And the passage that leaps to mind as we think about um, the dance and, and how the dance starts and how you get 
out of dancing um, in this particular way is he, Ephesians 4.26. Now, when Pastor Robert Madu read this on Sunday, I thought, oh, no, he's stealing my sermon. He got my notes, and he's going to, um, but he didn't. So there's still more here. The word is amazing, um, and I'm taking it from an unusual translation just because it's so simple, but it says, be angry without sinning. So there's a way to be angry in sin, and there's a way to be angry and not sin. I would choose that one, wouldn't you? If I could, that would be my preference. Then don't go to bed angry. How many know that's easier said than done sometimes? Any honest people out there? There's two of you. Okay. Um, a wise man once said to me that if you're fighting and it gets to be after 10 o'clock. Now, this is husband and wife. Husband and wife. Husband that and is wife. That is important. This is a key important part Important clarification. Story. Thank you. Wow. I just about got hauled off to jail. If you're fighting and it's after 10 o'clock, you have to fight naked. Or as Pastor Sam would say, naked. Now, at this point in our relationship, we're a little bit older. It would have to be if you're going to fight after 8.15. You're going to... Uh, because we don't make it a lot past 8.30 no. is what I'm saying. No. Um, but what we want to do is we want to unpack this idea of the dance. What is this dance that we do? How can we recognize the dance as it's starting? And how can we stop so we don't keep doing this same pointless, frustrating, aggravating dance? But just before we unpack the dance, just a few um, foundational things about relationships that we think uh, are important to get out there. Yep. So uh, we found um, some really good concepts from a couple guys who have really studied relationships of all kind. One of them is Dr. Alan Shore from the UCLA Medical School. And he found, he did a breakthrough study that our basic genetic structure within the brain is literally hardwired to emotionally connect into relationship. God designed us that yeah, way. Yeah. That's just how God designed us. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Dean Ornish, in his book, Love and Survival, um, and to quote him, he says, loneliness and isolation increase the likelihood of disease and premature death from all causes by 200 to 500% or more. Think about that. Astonishing. Just for a second. That if you're not in relationship, in significant relationship, you're 200 times more likely to die a premature death. So relationships are worth fighting for. Yes. Yes. And we also, as we've been putting this stuff together, we believe that we're made with the capacity to choose. Now, I can't choose what siblings I have. I can't choose what parents I have. I can't always choose what coworkers I have, but we can always choose how we're going to act in those relationships, right? The one thing I get to do today is choose how I'm gonna to respond to what comes my way. That's, that's a for sure thing I get to do. The other thing is that we 
we're created to take responsibility for ourselves. Hmm. That's just the way God designed us. But there's some Adam and Eve in each one of us. Hmm. And so what happened when Adam and Eve fell into sin? Everybody was pointing fingers except at themselves. You know the story. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. And you know what? We do the same thing in our relationships. If my boss wasn't such a, mm, I sure would like my job better. Or oh, if my child would just stop doing, uh, leaving, our home would be so much happier. Leaving a mess everywhere. Yeah, leaving a mess everywhere. Oh. So, all your problems are reflected on to other people in your head. Mm -hmm. And that is not you taking responsibility for your reactions and responses to people. So you are responsible for you, which means I'm responsible for me. And there's a whole lot going on here, beloved. There's a lot for me to be responsible for. Um, and that's why we get into the dance. L let me just ask. Has anybody here been irritated or frustrated this week? <laughs> Today, anybody irritated? Mm -hmm. Since you got to church? No, nope, nope. no. you can't do it. But how about on your way to church? Nope. Mm -hmm. okay. Yep, all right. Why did we get irritated and frustrated? What was the source of that? Often, frustration and irritation, we, we start to sense it building, don't we? Right? And as it builds in certain relationships, it builds into the dance. In father, son, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, father, son, mother, daughter, mother, uh, just children with their parents, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. You know, there's a saying, you only hurt the ones you love. And it seems that we typically have more grace and more patience for the people that get us angry and frustrated all day, right? And then we come home and our kids or our spouse says something and we are just ready to go because we've been getting ready all day. Um, the anger and frustration that we have, um, it begins, you begin to feel it building up and she says something, and you think, oh, I just knew you were gonna say that. And it, I don't like that you just said that. And so I say something, and then she says something, and then I say something, and then she says something, and then I say something. Or you know what? You might be a stuffer, like, Pastor Robert talked about on Sunday. So there's a little bit of that, and then one of you just goes silent and doesn't say anything. But all the while, as she's saying something, and I'm saying something, and she's saying something, and then I get quiet or she gets quiet, we're kind of circling around each other. 
And we're circling around the issue. We're not really talking about the issue that, that is at the very core, but we're talking about just the stuff we've always talked about and the things we've always said. And we keep saying the same sorts of things that we have said over and over and over and over in past dances. And we get to that point where somebody stuffs it or somebody just says, I've had enough and slams the door and walks out. And the dance is over. And you kind of cool down but you never resolve the issue and you never figure out how to not dance anymore. Is anybody here know anybody who's ever done this dance? Okay. We, we do that in these important relationships and we just keep looping around things and causing pain and causing frustration. And we call that the fear dance. Exactly. Because there are core fears. Um, you hurt about something, or you want something, mm -hmm. or you fear something, or you're just snap reacting to something. And a lot of times it goes in that order. You know, yeah. I, 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 I hurt, hurt, I want, I, I fear, fear, I react. I, react. I hurt, I want, I fear, I react. So, oh, the pizza story. <laughs> oh, I think you're, you're going to start that one, aren't you? I love Scribs Pizza in Muskegon, Michigan. It is, when it's done right, so greasy that you have to wear a short sleeve shirt to eat it. It's just pouring down your arm. And the way you order it right is it's got to have pepperoni and sausage because the grease from the pepperoni and sausage is just glorious. Well, we were there at Scribs Pizza in Muskegon. We were on a date, and we're young and in love and engaged. Probably. Probably. Might not have made it through otherwise. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I wanted to do something magnanimous, something generous, something selfless, something honoring the woman who would become my bride. And so we went to Scribs. She's thinking we're going to order what we always order, the, the right thing at Scribs, which is pepperoni and sausage. And I said, hey, this time let's get, what is it, pineapple and ham? Yeah. Oh, my word. Ham and pineapple. Yeah. Ham and, that's good. Who, who good. said that? See, that's good. Right. That's good pizza. I got right your there. name written down. <laughs> so anyway, she, I said, let's have ham and pepperoni. Pepper, no, ham and pineapple. Yeah. Let's have ham and pineapple. And she says, no, I don't want to have ham and pineapple. When we come to Scribs, we always do the pepperoni and sausage. And I'm trying to be nice. So I'm saying, no, let's not do the pepperoni and sausage tonight. Let's do the pineapple and ham and pineapple. I can't even say it. I know. It's just disturbing. And this is all in hissed whispers, too, because the little guy behind the counter is waiting for our order, and we're just, <laughs> yes. you know, where he can't hear us, although I we think hope. he could. I, think, I don't know. I think he could. So what was happening there, um, in a minute, we're going to tell you about some Enneagram numbers. So for now, just remember that I am a one and Ken is a three. I'm a one. Ken's a three. As a one, 
I was trying to get us to order the right pizza. Which is what because, we always ordered. Because that's what we always ordered. And I knew that's what he liked the best, was the greasy pepperoni and sausage. And I didn't mind it. And I knew that he didn't like ham and pineapple. So I thought, this won't go well. He's going to eat a pizza he doesn't like. So that I was trying to get the right pizza. Ken is a three. Ken was trying to make a grand gesture. So there we stood in the pizza place. And this poor guy is like, are these people ever going to order? I don't remember what we did get. Actually. I don't think we did. I'm guessing. I think we left because we were so mad. That's right. <laughs> Because we danced the around those that, toppings enough that nobody was hungry anymore. <laughs> these are the things that you want to really shed blood over, you know, what you put pizza on. I, I want you to know it was quiet in that oh, car for a while. Oh, my goodness, my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, another one that we've uh, dubbed Sacapalooza. Sacapalooza. Mm -hmm. um, when we were young marrieds, uh, I mean, this started right at the beginning, and I overlooked it for a while, and then I couldn't take it anymore. And by overlook it, she means she stuffed it. I stuffed it, which is unusual for me, but I did. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, I'm usually more volcanic. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, Ken was just one of those people, you know, I will tell you, this one is just very, very intelligent. And usually his Listen mind- to her. <laughs> his mind is in just a lot of other places thinking, you know, neat stuff. And quite often when his mind would do that, he would leave dirty socks laying around the house. And I did not care for that. <laughs> I did not care for that at all. I was not brought up that way. Everybody took care of their own stuff in my house. It was a little different at his house. So in the first couple years, I'd try to say something nice about it. Sometimes I'd sound a little bit snarky. The socks kept getting left around. And I always had to say something about would you please pick up your socks? Dirty socks. And so it just became this huge thing until for some reason, I think I was just having a bad day. In my head, I just totally snapped because here I walked into the bedroom and everything was clean and there were two pair of dirty socks on the floor. It's like, I just launched inwardly. If he loved me, he would pick up those socks. He knows how much this means to me. He is not picking up the socks. It might have been a little less inward than you thought. <laughs> Maybe. Just... It might have been a little more outward, actually. Have you ever seen <laughs> one of those um, National Geographic or Jacques Cousteau movies where the barracuda comes at somebody? <laughs> I'm just suggesting that as a way of understanding what happened that night. She is a one. There is a right way to do everything. The right way is you take off your socks and you put them in the clothes hamper. Then what's your mother supposed to do? <laughs> is all I want to know. <laughs> wow. I love you, Mom. There's a right way to do everything. Everything. And the right way was I put my socks in the dirty clothes hamper. I've now discovered it's not that hard. Um, and I've gotten quite good at it. I was feeling hurt because she was attacking how I was doing 
my job of as a husband, I guess, or getting ready for bed. I don't know what it was. But she was, uh, for a three, how we perform is very, very important. How we think you're reacting to how we perform. And when she was not appreciating my performance, I was being hurt by that. Right. I didn't like the Dirty Sock Show. I didn't like you not liking it. I know. And there you go. <laughs> and that's just a, a brief very, very limited introduction to the Enneagram. Um, the Enneagram is a tool, uh, unlike lots of personality tests that are out there, where the personality tests help you understand um, that you're a beaver or an otter or a ground, uh, no, a beaver, beaver, otter, lion. golden retriever, or a lion, not ground anything. Um, or you're an, an I or a J or a Q or a P or whatever that one does, or you're an A or a B. Those personality profiles are great, but they tell you what you do. The Enneagram is a great tool because it tells you why you do that. And when you can uncover the why, you can begin to uncover why there's a dance. And when you understand why there's a dance, you can stop the dance and actually build great relationships without that nonsense. Um, so uh, there's a, a book, another resource that we would recommend to you. It's called The Road Back to You. Um, it's um, by Ian Morgan Cron and Susan Stabile. Um, and it's an introduction to the Enneagram. Um, it's a, a great book that is, again, filled with stories and illustrations and practical teaching that will be an introduction to the Enneagram. Um, the Enneagram began in uh, the late 4th century. It was uh, really created by a monk, um, a Christian monk in a desert who had nothing else to do. Um, apparently, yes. And, and he began to put this together. It's been refined and in, uh, improved as we've gone along. Enneagram, um, any is Greek for, Pastor Kerry? I thought you knew it all. I'm, have I actually found something you don't know? It's nine. He'll look it up. I, I only asked because I thought you knew I was trying to make you look good. This will come back to you. This will be. Have I ever mentioned that he's my supervisor and fills out my <laughs> annual performance reviews? And can I just say you're going to miss me around here? Um, Enneagram. Any means nine. Gram means picture. It's really tough. So it's a picture with nine points on it. That's all it is. It's nothing fancy. There have been some people lately who have used it in Eastern religion and tainted it with New Age stuff and all of that. Um, all they have done is have seen the power of the Enneagram and have tried to latch onto it. It's not theirs. It wasn't their invention. It's not something that they came up with. Um, and my firm belief is that where there is truth, it's God's truth, because all truth is God's truth. And there's truth in this. Is there, are there some people that are wacky? Absolutely. There's some people wacky about everything, right? Um, I mean, what you want on pizza? There's some people that <laughs> like pepperoni and ham. Or uh, ham and pineapple. I, see, I can't even, I can't say those things together. I just can't do it. 
I'm sorry. So there's a lot of parts to the Enneagram, lots of parts. We're not going to try to get through even a, a fraction of them, but just this one. There's a significant uh, help in the Enneagram to understand what is your core fear, understanding your core fear. Because remember in the dance, it starts with, I hurt, I want, I, I fear, fear, I, I react. react. So if I can understand what the fear is, if I can understand what Sharon's fear is, and she can understand what my fear is, and instead of playing off of those, we work with those, then we're going to be better at everything we do together. So we're going to talk about the nine types of Enneagram, and we're going to do it about a minute and a half per type. Mark, get set, go. Talking fast. All right. So um, uh, I am a one, as I told you, and ones are moral perfectionists. And what we're going to do is give you a quote for each um, number that kind of describes it. So you might hear yourself and start to think, hmm, that might be me. And can uh, I just say, yes. when you hear yourself, you probably won't like it. No. The, one, the place where you hear yourself yeah. most uncomfortably is probably who you are. Right. And, and it's, yeah. it's the beginning of the door opening for you understanding, oh, that's what God wants to work on in my life. This is what God wants to work on in my life. Um, um, we are moral perfectionists, and our quote is, from the time they get up until the time they lay down, ones perceive a world filled with error and feel a duty to correct every wrong. It's a burden to bear. Um, so our greatest fear is being wrong. Um, the second Enneagram number is a two. Very, very different from a one. And we call twos supportive advisors. What we say about twos is they say about themselves, I want you to be happy. These are the people that will do anything for you. I want you to be happy. But I want to be the reason for that happiness. <laughs> so their greatest fear is being unwanted or inconsequential or being rejected. See, as a one, I don't care if you reject me. I know I'm right. <laughs> so, whatever. But a two, that's like catastrophic. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, that's horrible. And for you don't, not to recognize that I've done something nice for you, that's, that's yeah. uh, just so, the very pit yeah. of despair so for a two. Three. I'm going to do the third one, which is type three. I knew you'd start to catch on to that. <laughs> type three is the successful advisor. I'm sorry, the successful achiever. Um, and as a three, how you view what I do is very important. So I want to think that you think that I'm doing great. That the way I teach, the way... I parent, the way I mow the lawn, the way I park the car, the way I fill the gas tank, the way I have the oil, that everything I do is just amazing, that I am the best. I'm doing just the best job at that. It's a little exhausting. 
we didn't drive together and we're not riding home together. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> that may be good. A three, the successful achiever, my greatest fear is to be thought as incompetent or unsuccessful. Any threes out there? Oh, don't tell me. I mean, you can, but um, in fact, you probably felt pretty good about how you raised your hand right there, didn't you? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. Type four is the romantic individualist. They feel all the feels. They feel it so deeply. Um, they feel that they are tragically flawed, that there's something wrong with them. They're not like everybody else. They're different, and that's not good, that something is missing inside of them. And the four, the romantic individualist's greatest fear is being inadequate, mundane, insignificant, like just to be like everybody else. Um, we have a, a four uh, and, uh, that we know well, and that four just hates. If everybody else wants a puppy, she wants a pig. If, if everybody else wants to wear shorts, she wants to wear a dress because she doesn't want to be like everybody else because if she's like everybody else, she doesn't matter. She's insignificant, inconsequential. So she, she needs to find a way to stand out. And then we get to number five. <clears throat> we call number five the investigative thinker. These people love to study and read and research and, I mean, nothing makes them happier. What we say about them um, is, I think I am, therefore I am, I think. <laughs> um, and honestly, that is like one of their most fun things to do, is just to disappear into something that really engages them and think and study and ponder and, I mean, that just makes them very, very happy. Um, to go into all the horrible, meaningless minutiae. Oh, but they like that. They do. They do. They love that. Um, but their fear is that they are not capable or they might be ignorant of something. Or perceived as ignorant. Or perceived as ignorant. That's a bit catastrophic for yeah. them. Yes. And then number six, and interestingly enough, um, number six is... Uh, the greatest majority of people yes. in the yep. world. Uh, a, I, I don't know the numbers, but a great majority of people are sixes, which is good. Sixes are what we call loyal guardians. And their motto is, there's no harm in hoping for the best as long as you are really prepared for the worst. <laughs> and um, that's just kind of how they roll. They are incredibly loyal people. You can always count on them. They will show up on time and they will do what they are told to do and they will do it well. But their fear is um, not being secure where they are, not being able to count on others or feeling like they're unsupported, that people keep pulling the rug out from under them. That's that's a no-go for them. They, they, they like things steady and dependable and, uh, because that's what they are. And when people don't treat them that way, that's, that's very uh, scary for them. Mm -hmm. um, then there's type seven, and we call them the entertaining optimist. 
As Peter Pan said, just think of happy things and your heart will fly on wings. <laughs> yes. Sevens are probably some of the most fun people in the world. We have several sevens in our lives. They're always ready for the next adventure. They are very creative often, uh, just ready to move on to the next new thing. Um, but their, so their fear is of being trapped, especially in routine, being bored or limited, or missing out on something fun. So has anybody, and you don't have to raise your hand, but have you begun to see who you think you might be? Pick out a number that you think might be you, and do you relate to that fear? And do you see how if that fear is being um, played to, or that fear is, is, is starting to manifest that you're gonna need to react to that. And, and that fear then produces the dance. Um, again, as a three, if I am not feeling like you're thinking that my performance is amazing, then I'm gonna begin to feel in, unimportant, um, unworthy, uh, unrecognized, and I'm going to work hard to make that feeling go away. Whatever it takes, I need that fear to go away. Does that make sense? All right, to one person, good. Um, we go in, in baby steps. Type eight, the protective challenger. Um, the, the type eight is a person who um, really needs to have order. A type eight is okay if they're not in charge, but whoever is in charge really better be doing a great job. Because if you're not doing a great job, the type eight is pretty soon gonna have you sitting on a chair and they're gonna take care of it. Their, their phrase would be, lead me, follow me, or get out the way. Because this is going to take place. I, we're gonna do this. If we're going to, we're gonna do it well. So a type eight's um, uh, fear would be being weak, being powerless, or being controlled. A type eight um, will pick a fight in an empty room just for the fun of winning the argument. <laughs> know any type eights? Mm -hmm. We have a type three who knows a type eight. Now I've gotta say, that could be an issue. <laughs> At least I think that was your hand. Peaceful mediator is number nine. Peaceful mediator. These are, I don't want to, this to sound bad, um, so I shouldn't have said that. Um, they are the lowest energy people of all of the Enneagram folk. They just want things to be quiet. They just want things to be peaceful. They just want things to be okay. They don't want anybody upset. They don't want any issues. They don't want any struggles. It doesn't mean they're not hard workers. Oh, no. But they're not going to invest a lot of energy in emotions. And, and they'll work hard um, as long as you're not asking them to create something or, or don't ask them to go solve this problem. No. Tell them how to solve the problem. They'll go do it. Their thing is, don't sweat the small stuff. 
and everything is small stuff. So don't sweat nothing. Their fear is being in tension or conflict or disagreement. Um, we want you to, we hope that you're going to begin to see your type here. And that in seeing your type, you're going to see the fear that is there. Because if you can get a handle on this is what I'm afraid of, then you can actually, even type nines, please, try this. I promise this is one time where a little bit of tension is worth it. Say to the person that you're doing this dance with, to your mom, your dad, your, your kids, to your husband or wife, say, I want you to know that I am really afraid of being a failure. And so when you say things that make it sound in my head like I've failed, I'm done. I'm a waste. I'm a wash up. There's no reason for me to go forward. For my bride, if when she under, do you want me to do this? You want to do this? I can do it. Um, yeah, just. I need to not have somebody just hammering me over and over, telling me I'm wrong, 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 wrong. I already got a voice in my head telling me 90% of what I do is wrong. So when you jump on that bandwagon, it's almost unbearable. She has named the voice in her head Miss Feisty Pants. Yeah. And Miss Feisty Pants yells at her nonstop all day. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. This could be better. You could be better. You could be better. You could be better. When I chime in on that, it's too much. And I've broken her. I've certainly broken her heart and broken her spirit. I don't want to do that. I, I want to lift her up. My goal in marriage is to create an environment where she can be the best person in Christ she can be, where she can flourish and reach for the stars and catch them. That's what I want. Well, until we knew about our fears, we never knew why we were dancing. We never knew why we were tripping over each other. We never knew why we were frustrating each other. But once we came to understand that, it was like, oh. Exactly. You start framing the way you say things differently. Because your heart is tender, understanding, see, I'm not scared of a bad performance because I'm not a three. So I usually laugh at my screw-ups, and just, I mean, I have to. There's so many, you know. I mean, <laughs> if, if I had I any, I would. I, I know you would. I know you would. <laughs> anyway, um, once you start understanding the people in your life, um, and uh, just a warning, don't run around saying, oh, you're such a one, or you're such a four. Uh, that, don't do that. The Enneagram is not a club no, with which you beat with. someone. It's information for understanding. People need to discover for themselves what their numbers are. But once you get familiar with it, you can kind of recognize people, and then you can frame the way you relate to them a little bit differently, and, and not press their fear buttons so deliberately. Well, I mean, we're not doing it deliberately. We don't realize right. we're doing it. Right. We can deliberately not press their fear buttons. Right. 
You know, right. we have a dear friend who's a two, and we can affirm her by just letting her know how much we appreciate what she's done. Yeah. That what she's done matters because her fear is not being noticed or being insignificant. In, what's her fear? Being insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I had it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so if we say, oh, that was amazing. Thank you. She's not insignificant or inconsequential. She matters. And we noticed. And boy, that does so much for her and so much for the relationship. And it can... Or as we have an eight in our lives. <laughs> and when you say the same thing to him, he's young. He says, well, of course I am. <laughs> because... He knows he's he knows all that in a bag yeah, of chips. Yeah. 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 He doesn't need to hear that. He already thinks that about himself. So, um, we're just going to, we're wrapping up. I'm going to invite the worship team up to play softly behind me as I speak. <laughs> because that's how you know it's time for you to think. I, I guess, isn't that what that is? So, um, what we want to ask you to do right now um, is to see if you can identify in a positive, affirming, not clubbing them over the head way, what I am and what a significant person in your life is. Now, you may be here with that significant person, um, in which case, during this time, we just want you to um, to, to talk about it and to be honest and say, I think that I might be a three. I think I might be a five. What do you think? Do you see three in me? Do you see five in me? Um, and, and allow this to be a time where you try to get to the bottom of who I am and why I do what I do. Does that make sense? And, and do it in an affirming way, and in a way that you can say, wow, I had no idea that without even knowing, I was breaking your heart, because it breaks my heart to do that. I would never want to do that. Is there anybody who doesn't understand the assignment? Because there will be a test. Okay. Can I just encourage you to take a few minutes, if you're not with that significant person, think about them, think about you, and um, ways that you can um, apply this and avoid that dance.